Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. The Pride of Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout. Get you 15% off your order. That's POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us. Boy, that one sucked. Very different vibes versus last week here. Uh, now we are finally in real season form coming to you on Sunday night after a Detroit Lions home loss to start the year. The ski masks apparently didn't really help too much and might have just served to fire up the Seahawks. Who knows? What we do know is that final score Seattle Seahawks in overtime, 37, Detroit Lions, 31. And we're going to break it all down for you right now. How we feel, what all happened, who takes blame, what takes blame, what was actually good, and what we can all take away from this to grow on. I'm Chris Perfett, the adequate host at Chris Perfett on Twitter. Join me as always, the fearless leader, the producer of Pride of Detroit, Jeremy Reisman at Detroit online, fresh back from Ford Field. How was it, Jeremy? Well, I mean, it was it was actually a relatively fun and exciting game, and and Ford Field was as advertised, absolutely nuts, and and I think my ears are still ringing a little bit. And listen, the Lions made a ten point comeback with with five minutes to go, forced overtime. It's a really fun game. Um, not the ending that any of us wanted, but um, I'm not I'm not I'm not feeling nearly as as bad as I feel like a lot of other people were. I think there were obviously extremely high expectations going into this game, but I'm one of the few people that that believe that Seattle is a very good football team despite how they played in week one. And so, um, you know, there there's some things I'm disappointed with, things I'm frustrated with, um, but there's plenty to to be hopeful for as well. And so, uh, I'm not I'm not having my head's not not hanging tonight. Sky high expectations, I think, for the Lions. And to be honest, those Seahawks lost to. I think what we're learning on like the Rams are one and one, but they also like just lost to a very good 49ers team. I'll just say this. We reached one and one, Jeremy, just not in the way I think we intended to reach one and right. one. Sure. <laughs> so. I, I, listen, I had the lines going 12 and five and starting 0 and two. So they're still ahead of schedule for by my for student. you for you. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Matthews, the rock God at Ryan underscore POD mm-hmm. senior editor. Hello, Ryan. How are we feeling? You know, uh, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> so 
Is that how we're? Kinda, I, I think that's. I think that's an overwhelming sentiment. Yeah, it it, it does feel a little bit of uh, you know Lucy pulling the ball out from underneath Charlie Brown, so to speak. Um, but yeah, you know, just just disappointed in some aspects that we'll we'll surely cover over the course of uh, this podcast. But you know, all things said, like you guys said, one and one, on to Atlanta, on to Atlanta. Atlanta? Atlanta. Yes, Atlanta. I mean, yes. They'll be in Detroit, but yes. No, just for whatever reason, my brain tripped in its head and I kept thinking it was Carolina next week. So I'm being very adequate in my brain right now. Didn't need to share that. We're going to get into the injuries and we're going to get into some more of the schematic breakdowns. But I think in season, we always start with our overall arching big takeaways from this game. So, uh, Ryan, you invoke Lucy pulling the football away. I think some fans feel that to an nth degree on the Detroit Lions, that they were promised a great deal of many things. And it didn't look the way they hoped and resulted in a loss that they really didn't want to take. So why don't you expound upon that? Let's just start with you on your thoughts on this game. Yeah, I think the expectations were that the defense would look as good as, if not better than it did in week one with you know, both of Seattle's offensive tackles out of the lineup, you, you you figured that Detroit would be able to generate a whole lot of pass rush. They sacked Geno Smith once, and it took all the way into the fourth quarter for them to either, you know, sack him or register a quarterback hit. So I, I think that Seattle, uh, to their credit, right, they were able to game plan and they were able to put Geno Smith in opportunities and, and put him in situations where the ball was getting out quick. And I I think the frustrating part is that there were those expectations that the Lions would be able to disrupt Geno Smith and maybe force a turnover or, you know, uh, I don't know, prevent the Seattle Seahawks from scoring 37 points. I don't know. Like, I I guess that is is kind of the point of frustration is the the pass defense in particular. Right. I I think that, you know, people have a lot of reason to to be frustrated with it in terms of the way, um, you know, the quarterbacks played uh, in terms of some of their coverage and kind of just seeding some some underneath crossers and, and certain things that Seattle was doing to to get the to get the ball out quick, right? Like like I said about Geno Smith, to get that ball out quick and and to put it in the Seahawks receivers' hands, and it, it just didn't seem like Detroit adjusted at all uh, on defense, and I think that was the frustration that I had, uh, you know, once this game you know ended with a Tyler Lockett touchdown. Unfortunately, Jeremy, a touchdown in overtime in the regular season ends, ends a game unlike yeah. it does in Madden Sims. So yeah, don't tell EA sports that. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think definitely the, the, I don't know, the takeaway of this game is, is the Lions defense not living up to standards. You know, this is supposed to be a, a revenge game for someone like Aaron Glenn. And I think he comes away looking pretty bad in this game. And I I think my issue with what the Lions are doing is that they are playing scared football against mobile quarterbacks. If you listen to what Dan Campbell said after the game, part of the reason the Lions didn't have such a big pass rush against two backup offensive tackles, like you said, is they don't really have that much of an interest in doing that. Their interest is more containing the quarterback in the pocket rather than attacking him. It's slowly collapsing the the pocket around him just so that he doesn't get outside the pocket and hurt them. The problem is that's taking way too long. And Geno Smith is just hurting you while he's in the pocket. 
and you were just letting it happen. You were just sitting there, sitting on your hands, being like, well, at least you didn't get outside the pocket and run for 10, 15 yards. I, I don't care. I'm sorry. I don't care. Like, look at what the Rams did to him last week. They attacked yeah. him. They got him on the move. They And he was horrible under pressure. It he did, was absolutely did. horrible under pressure. And I understand the Lions don't have a disruptor like Aaron, Aaron Donald. They don't. And I think part of that is also by design because they prefer these guys that play good run defense, that that hold the edge, that contain, that are disciplined. They love throwing around the word discipline, but they're not disruptors. They, they, they don't, you know, to put it in Levi Onzerike's words, they don't FS up. Yeah. And and yeah. so and so when you do that, you 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 play passive football and Geno Smith picks you apart. And so I, I think I think ultimately the the biggest frustration is that the the one line that they kept feeding us when because they've been doing this for the past two years is we need to earn our right to pass rush. We need to earn our right to pass rush. How do you do that? You stop the run. What have they done through two weeks? Stop the run. They've stopped it. They've gotten into third and and, and tens, third and eights, third and fifteens, and they still aren't getting to the quarterback. That's that's bad. That's not good. Yeah, it's not good. And, and real quick to that point, Jeremy, I thought Geno Smith, in terms of how comfortable, not comfortable maybe, but how poised he was in the pocket, when the Lions were collapsing that pocket, he stayed there and he made his throws. The yep. only time he lost his mind and hit the panic button was probably at the worst time that he could have done it. Right. And he, and he turns, <laughs> you know, into a fourth and 35. Right. But outside of that, I mean, the quarterback play, Chris, today was sensational. It was, but I have like, I I agree with you guys on every point when it comes to the defense, but I think there's more than one way to lose a football game. And I guess my complaints I have on the offense isn't limited to Jared Goff himself. I'm not even too mad about the pick six. I think the, well, let, let me put a caveat to that. I'm not happy with the explanation about the pick six, that it was about the route more than the throw because I'm not sure really what to really take that away from it, that we're going to throw Jameer Gibbs under the bus for that. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think the problem is, is that much like the defense, sometimes the offense got a little, a little, a little scared near the end of the game. It, it, I I thought I, I was watching that final, that second to last offensive drive. And all I could think about is, you don't have much time left. You should probably go a little bit faster, move a little bit more up tempo, give yourself some more time on that final drive. And what happens in the final drive, I know they're stopped on third down, but if you had had some more time, had to play with it. You talk about the overtime rules. I would rather not deal with the overtime rules at all. I would love if you can show that aggression, put the trust in the offense and say, you know what? We've got enough time. We're going to go for it on fourth down. Keep this game going because what happens when we hit overtime, Ryan? It becomes a coin flip. It becomes a coin flip and Seattle wins the coin flip. And what have the Lions not done all all game really stop Seattle's offense. And they certainly didn't do it near the end of that game there. Yeah. So Dr- I drew lock one of your stars of the game. Tails never fails. Yeah. Tails. never fails. I it's frustrating in that. I think you can apply both uh, both uh, the same complaint to both sides of the football at times too conservative. And I think that applies more to the defense than the offense. But this was a team that when given the moment in other games stands up and gets incredibly aggressive. 
And I don't know if it was just because they were playing in front of a home crowd and wanted to wanted to give them something to cheer for or didn't want to ruin the vibes straight away or just Seattle out coached them in a particular way. But they did not carry that same energy throughout this entire game and they paid for it. They paid for it in multiple big spots. Yeah, I I, kind of want to flip this a little bit, though, because for three quarters or maybe two and a half. The Lions controlled this game like they got behind seven, nothing pretty quick, but then they rebounded. They were up 14, seven and a half. And then they I mean, they were in a position. It, it didn't exactly work like back to back possessions, but it, it turned out being back to back possessions where you had it at the end of the second half. You almost score on a, a ridiculous Hail Mary. And then the fumble happens. No one really cares about that. And then you come back in the second half. And what do you do right away? You turn the ball over the very first play. And then you have the pick six when you're again in a drive to take the lead in the fourth quarter or in the third quarter, whatever, in the second half. The Lions were in control of this game for a large majority of it. And I feel like we forget about that with the way the game ended, with the way that things collapsed very quickly with with losing the lead and then getting pick sixed and 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 all that. But I'm still coming away pretty confident in this team especially offensively like yes you mentioned that the Lions got a little conservative at the end I'm not so much concerned about the the time that they were ticking off the clock especially on the final drive I agree with you on the on the you know bring it within one score drive they bled way too much time there but once they got into field goal range it was just like dink dunk dink dunk like no yeah yeah it it wasn't so much that they weren't calling timeouts that they were making sure that Seattle wasn't going to get a possession it's just like they felt it felt like the play calls were like okay, let's just play really safe football here and make sure we don't turn it over and not we're 25 yards away from winning this football game. Let's go win it. It does feel like disappointing to see. Yeah, it does feel like after that pick six, things started to get conservative on the play calling. And again, I don't know if you say that's golf. You say that's Ben Johnson. You say it's the offense as a whole. I'll just go and say and say it's the offense as a whole because I'd rather not have well, this isn't the segment to assign particular blame. I agree with you. I was happy with the offense for most of this game. I was ready to give like high passing grades. I thought Jared Goff played phenomenal and he was getting yeah. the ball downfield for, for most of this game. And it just felt like after those two back to back mistakes, the, the over those two turnovers, the fumble and the pick six, suddenly things changed. I I just viewed the I viewed the approach to that last drive as being very incongruent to the same football coach that was very aggressive on fourth down in this game. And I think it was a little bit frustrating to know that the game was theirs. And I think everybody had been watching that Lions defense for four quarters, not not do much of anything to stop Geno Smith. And I I don't know why you'd want to leave it up to a coin toss. I don't. I really don't. Like, I, I think that's the frustration is go win the football game. You have the ball. It really felt and and it and it ended up being true. It was the team who had the football last won that game. And it was eerily reminiscent. Not I agree with Jeremy in the sense that I thought the Lions were in control of this game all the way up until the pick six. Right. Yeah. But it was yeah. eerily similar to the game last year where when when golf threw the pick six coming out of half. Then all of a sudden it felt like, oh, man, there's just no way that the Lions are going to be able to hold serve. And if you remember the game from last year, the Lions last four drives were touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. But it it didn't matter because they were too far behind and made too of a hole too much of a hole. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and just the one last thing, I think before we can move on, but like injuries, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh. I had kind of carved out like a whole segment for it. We can get into that right now because depending what the butcher's bill on, on Monday is, this could be a blow that I'm, that's what really worries me about this game is how many injuries. I, I don't know how we went, Ryan, from, hey, none in the preseason. Hey, none in, in game one. We're all groovy here. And then, the cards coming out for David Montgomery and everything else. It's, it's very frustrating, Ryan. It's, it's very, very frustrating. And unfortunately that's just the flow of how football goes. Right. I mean, Decker Decker is inactive mm-hmm. Vitae with a knee injury, you know, and Montgomery. I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown was playing with a steel plate in his, in his cleat, you know, to, to help with the injury that he suffered. And he was in and out of the game and he was cramping and my goodness. I mean, it was just a laundry list. It was that first drive too, right? That first drive was Kirby Joseph injured, CJ Gardner Johnson injured, Ali McNeil injured. Kirby, it, Yeah, Kirby Joseph. And I think CJ came out of the game for a bit. Aiden Hutchinson got shook up late too. Yep. Yep. And I mean, Jameer Gibbs, I don't think any kind of official designation or anything that happened at the end of the game, but like even he looked kind of awkward on uh, that final drive that they had. Yeah, I, I I get the doom and gloom, everybody, but I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> First, like, what, what, based based on what I'm hearing, and and I, the one guy that we don't really know about yet is is Vitai, right? We haven't heard much about Vitai. Dan Campbell said he couldn't give an update on Vitai. The one guy that got it worst, it sounds like, is is James Houston, which I didn't even see what happened there, but apparently he's got an ankle injury. Dan Campbell already said he think it's it's going to be a little while, which when Dan Campbell is saying that after a game, you can pretty much guarantee that means at the very least an IR trip. Um, but listen, like it sounds like a, a, a thigh bruise for David Montgomery, which could mean a couple of weeks, could mean zero weeks. Um, and then, you know, CJ comes back in the game. Kirby comes back in the game like it's OK. <laughs> We're not. Yeah, I, I know, but it's the offensive line, Jeremy. It, it's, sure. It, it's that, a game. Yes, I, we are I in the week two. Taylor yes. Decker's not playing. Vitae's out. Like, I mean, that's the we concern. We had one right? game. We had one game finally with all five of the starters together. One game with all five of the starters together. I, I understand why that's frustrating. I get it. But this is also the NFL. This is yep. also the trenches. Guys get rolled up on. It just happens. Like, the Lions, yeah. uh, did, did you hate Matt Nelson after today? Because I didn't. Like, he, he had maybe no. one or two bad plays. And they have Graham Glasgow. And and I have to imagine that the Taylor Decker is not going to be out very long since he was just, he was doubtful. Like he like it's going to be OK. It, it, it's frustrating. I get it. But this, like, I don't think they've suffered an injury. Like to me, the biggest injury is David Montgomery. David Montgomery has been arguably the most important person on offense next to Jared Goff. And it would suck to lose him for a couple of games because I don't know if Jameer Gibb can can carry the load. I don't know if they even view him as that guy. I think they don't. They don't, I don't think they. Yeah, and so I think you're, that just means more of Craig Reynolds rather than more Jameer Gibbs. And and with all due respect to Craig Reynolds, he's a significant step down from David Montgomery. I still don't expect David Montgomery to be out for very long. He's missed six games in three years. Um, but that, to me, is the one where I'm just like, I really wish that one to happen. Because, I mean, I think it was the very next drive. They they run Jameer Gibbs on a, on a third and three, and he gets stuffed, where I'm just like, but David Montgomery would have would have physicaled that one out. And then I think they that's the drive they go for it on David Montgomery on their own been, 45 and turn the ball over so far this season. David Montgomery has been much more of a power guy than I thought 
even I thought we would see out of him. Like I kept saying he wasn't going to play the Jamal Williams role and he has been running over people. So, yeah. Yeah. He's I mean, he's been better than Jamal was. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to dive into individual performances out there because uh, I think there's a lot to go through. There's a lot of interesting stuff. And overall, I think to put a cap on this, I agree. I think we all kind of agree this isn't the end for the Lions. I think as much as we tried to say that last week against the Chiefs wasn't, oh, my God, they're going to go 17 and 0. this week. It's not it's it, it's not Jover. All right. It's not it's not Jover. There's something in between. But I feel that we all that a lot of Lions fans got incredibly psyched up and there was no way to really bring it back. And the loss just ends up becoming unfortunate at the end of the day. And now it's called for some drastic measures on the other side. And no, Aaron Glenn is still going to be your defensive coordinator next week just heading that one off at the pass because i've already seen it you know what's going to help brian with this rehab you know what's going to help mend all these injuries protein lots of it and what's the best source of protein righteous felon craft jerky i was going to say meat but yeah that is a type of meat is righteous felon craft jerky just cut straight to the point Straight to the point, straight to the read, straight to the promo, because for the second season, the right, the Pride of Detroit podcast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. Righteous Felon Craft Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, which they are going to spend a lot of time in. Each two ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein. Each stick has eight grams of protein. If it's good enough for the Lions and better than this game, it's going to be good enough for you, too. And let's hope the Lions really fuel up on this because it righteous felon is best is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, using locally sourced all natural black Angus beef. And they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. And yet we still harass them every week to bring back the uh, the turkey jerky or at least put some more in stock. Ryan is our uh, turkey jerky aficionado. Do we have the uh, foul Capone? Is it back in stock? I have not checked recently, but you should. And you should use POD 15 for 15% off your order at Righteous Felon. That's right. We give this to our to our listeners all the time. POD 15 at RighteousFelon.com. Uh, when we come back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast, we're going to break down some of the key players from this game, both good and bad. Pride of Detroit POD cast. Let's continue to break down what happened here in Detroit. Uh, And we're going to have to go to individual performances to really do that. There were a lot of problems uh, across the defense this week, Jeremy. I don't want to try to single out anyone too much on it, but was there someone who you thought, let's let's reverse it around. Was there someone you thought played probably well on the defense that you're like, you, you want to excuse from some of what we're about to do? Right yeah, now. I've I've a great name, which I I'm I'm going to call my shot here. I think he's going to have the highest grade of PFF from the defense. And I think it's Derek Barnes. I think this linebacker Barnes, PFF is always bad with linebackers. It's, it's a good point. Uh, but no, I think Derek Barnes was fantastic in this game. I think he continues to be a really good, well-rounded 
linebacker now. And, and I know they take him off during passing downs quite a bit, but I think he's just, he's been such a big part of why this Lions run defense is much better than it was last year. Let me repeat that again, because people don't seem very high in the Lions defense right now. The Lions defense run defense is way better than it was last year. And it, it's kind of picking up the steam where it did towards the end of last year. And I know next week's going to be a really big test with Atlanta and we'll, we'll get to that down the line here. But I think Derek Barnes deserves a lot of credit for how, how, how big of a step he's made this year. And, and it, it's one of those things where you never know whether to believe it in, in the off season, because they were, I mean, we've been getting Derek Barnes hype for months upon months upon months um, in the same way that we get like a Lee McNeil hype every off season. And then it never really seems to realize itself. Derek Barnes has actually lived up to that hype through two games. And and listen, that's, that's great news for a Lions linebacking core that two years ago looked, looked completely lost. Yeah. Derek Barnes was an absolute revelation in run defense. He was awesome. I mean, for for what they did to to hold the Seahawks ground game in check, and we talked about it in in the break a little bit, but just to highlight it on the podcast, like I felt like the Lions probably should have held them to even less yards. You know, I thought that Kenneth Walker did some Houdini stuff in in terms of his escapability and turning plays that probably should have been negative yardage or maybe get back to the line of scrimmage to, to eke out, you know, two or three yards. Again, that made a small difference. And but, you know, credit to. To Barnes, I, I thought it was interesting, and I'll definitely be interested to check out just the linebacker snap count. Like, saw a lot of Rodrigo out there, uh, Anzalone, obviously, wow. and um, you know, Jack Campbell is in there too. So, kind of interested to see how the snap count kind of shakes out. Uh, Chris, was there anybody on defense to you that stood out? Um, I think we hit on all the real big names. I'm still continue to be impressed at Anzalone's production here, um, in this stage of his career right now. Uh, not too much else I can, I can say right now. So I guess we've got to get into kind of where, where, where do you want to start, Jeremy? The, the D you want to start in the D line or the secondary, uh, what you think kind of became, cause look, I, I think the damage was done by the secondary. They're still figuring things out there on the flip side, clearly. And we talked about it in segment one, clearly this seems to be a schematic thing on why they're not getting, pressure going after a mobile quarterback. But come on, I thought someone should have like at least gone and tried to like go after Geno Smith at some point there. Yeah, it's a line play is hard to diagnose upon first view. So it'll be interesting to go back and, and see what happened there with a lot of the, the lack of pressures. I, I do think a lot of it was schematic, mm-hmm. but, but man, I, I don't want to hate on the guy cause he's a fan favorite and, and, He's an awesome story, but I think this was a, a game for Jerry Jacobs to forget. Um, you know, I, I think he was the, one of the bigger questions in the starting lineup. Again, really cool story, um, but the, the Lions signed Emmanuel Mosley for a reason. They they wanted him to be the number two corner outside of Cameron Sutton. And listen, we knew this was always going to be a challenge for this group. We knew this was their first real big challenge, right? Like Kadarius, Tony, and whatever last week, not that big of a challenge in terms of your outside corners. This week, you got Tyler Lockett, you got DK Metcalf, uh, you got Jackson Smith and Jigba, and those outside corners just didn't do their job. I mean, you look at the at, at Geno Smith when he targeted those two outside guys and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He was 14 of 16 for 134 yards and two touchdowns. Two incompletions, two touchdowns, and over and, and 134 yards. Like that, 
you just you just got beat. Like that's that's the story of of the defense right there to me. And, and yes, they had to cover for longer than they probably wanted to for the lack of pass rush. But these two have to work in in tandem. If they cover longer, the defense can get there. If the defense gets there, they don't have to cover as long. It has to be a push pull, and neither of them did their job this game. Yeah, yeah. if I oh sorry, uh, I was gonna jump in. I I don't know if you were gonna agree with me, Ryan. I I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm I'm a bit out on an edge here. But since we since Jeremy brought up fan favorites, um, and I know we've talked about how limited he can be sometimes, but I feel like this was a game that. You want to talk about Jerry Jacobs writing off a game. I don't think people were very thrilled with James Houston in this game either. But again, that might just be schematic because we're not seeing that same kind of pass because, rush that they were using in the because, because James Houston is dropping 30 yards into coverage. Yeah, like that's that's we know how James Houston is as a coverage linebacker. Right. So I'm just going to well, write him up to mostly misused here. Well, I mean, like on, on any play where you not only get a defensive penalty, but you also give up a huge gain. Like, yeah, that's that's a pretty bad rep. And I think the thing that's a bummer for Houston is what Jeremy mentioned when it comes to injuries. Like if if he's a guy who's going to miss time with uh, with his ankle thing or whatever he's got going on, like that's it's a bummer, man. Like, again, that's just a guy who down the stretch last year was such an impactful player because of his ability to get to the quarterback and. Uh, you know, to be down him and then the team just put Josh Pascal on our on IR. So, you know, the the edge depth all of a sudden is is starting to get shaved down a little bit and bummer. Yeah. But Jeremy took my guy that I was gonna point out, Jerry Jacobs. It, it but it I think the thing with Jerry Jacobs too though was it was all game long the opening drive was, oh man, this is a drive that Jerry Jacobs just needs to forget, have a really short memory and go back out there. And it was like, no, it was, it was from the back out there, pitch your brain. Yeah. So tough, tough defense, tough. Can we talk about the offense and like the good things that we liked? Yeah, Yeah, sure. And I'll go ahead and I'll give some roses to, um, just go, I'll give it, I'll give it to three quarters and a half of Jared Goff. I'll get to three quarters that I think the question with Jared Goff is always, what does he does? What does he do? And what does this whole offense do when it gets rattled? And it feels like after the pick six, Ryan, you alluded to what they, you know, how it changed last year uh, after that as well, after the the pick back then as well. But like those were some big time throws. I enjoyed what was going on. And this is still a very good Seattle defense at times. So I thought that, like, look, I don't really have much to write home about the offense being <laughs> too terrible. It's a gut check when you do lose David Montgomery partway into this game. I don't really know a single person I want to single out as far as either good or bad right, right now. Like, I, I think that's the struggle for me. Other than probably um, I have no criticism about Sam Laporta. And I don't know if he's if he's going to be the highest graded player on the offense on PFF. but. He should be up there. Yeah, I, I feel like there were some replays that I remember where Sam, in terms of the other phase, not I mean, pass catching, he was dynamite. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe maybe the most important play of the game to keep the Lions in was that third and 12 where. Yep. I don't know how he made that catch. Very uh, magic, and avoided magic. both tackles right away. I, the, the defender had the hand on the ball and Sam was just like, no, I have that. That's mine. And that's mine, not yours. 
I, I really don't want to evoke any um, staring into the camera, but like I, I get a lot of baby Gronk vibes from from Sam Laporta, like his his ability. Like there was a stiff arm that he had where I was like, man, yeah. you just put oh, a grown yeah. man down on the field like that and you kept moving. And that that was uber impressive. I think even with golf, though, Chris, like I guess the thing I'll push back on is he throws the pick six. The next play is a 10 yard drive, 75 or 10, 10 play, play drive. drive, 75 yards for a touchdown. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and the Lions absolutely needed to score at that point. And Jared Goff did it. And, you know, the other, I guess, skill position player I want to highlight the serpent of death, man, Josh Reynolds. Keep having yourself a, <laughs> a freaking start to the season, man. Like, for as, as much as people want to, you know, you know, bellyache about, oh, man, the Lions wide receiver depth. Josh Reynolds him and, doing both, his part, man. Both him and Khalif Raymond are still playing at a level that is of NFL caliber in my yeah. mind. And and to pass it off to Jeremy, but like the thing that I loved the most was that first touchdown catch that um, that Josh Reynolds had. I mean, that was a big boy hit he took. And yes. Goff, Goff immediately kind of went up to him. And he's like. It looked like there was an exchange like, dude, I know I put that one there. You have some you have some cojones for like making that catch and way to way to way to, you know, hold on to that football. Yeah, no, I got I got something to say about all three of those guys because I'm with you on all three. I like golf. I think I think golf is continuing to play some of the best football he's ever played. I, I really do. And I know it's tough to say that in a, in a game and where you threw a fourth quarter pick six that that is, is probably at least partially his fault statistically whether. he was going to get an interception at some point it just <laughs> he happened was. to come at a really bad spot right yes. there. well and, and jeremy you were you were you were at the game but you didn't see the graphic that they put on the screen for his you know pass attempts without an interception and i was 383 like, did, did they it. like put it up right before it happened yes <laughs> those assholes uh, <laughs> but but with uh sam laporta yes he's continuing to ball out as a receiver it was a very up and down day as a blocker because he had he had a great seal block on the Montgomery touchdown run, the four yard touchdown run. He just absolutely caved in the defense. And then he also blew a block on the David Montgomery fumble that caused him to get hit in the backfield. So still a little up and down there. But again, Laporta is a guy that I didn't even think was going to be run blocking as much as he did as, as he is. And I think in general, it's positive. It's just unfortunate that his one very visual very apparent mistake led to a turnover. Uh, and so you, you can't, you can't gloss over that necessarily, but, but it wasn't the worst tight end blocking. Today. No, I, you know what I thought Rock Rock right. was horrible Ooh. today. I don't, I don't know what Ooh. was going on there. Uh, but yeah, there were, there was, there was some issues there for sure. Um, I don't know if I, I mean, I, I, I think we should, we should not, not like say Matt Nelson had an amazing game, but like, we were concerned about Matt Nelson. I think we were all a little bit concerned about Matt Nelson. And for the most part, he was pretty invisible all game, which is exactly what you want from your right, right. tackle. And and the run game still, to me, look continues to look very good. Like not, not Philadelphia Eagles good, but you look at the stats and again, it doesn't look great. 3.8 yards per carry, but Dave Montgomery continues to be, uh, Dave Montgomery is, is another guy that I think deserves a lot of flowers. And again, I know there's a caveat here. He has a fumble, which is critical at the beginning of the second half. But other than that, that guy continues to play very, very well and break tackles that I I didn't know anyone was capable of breaking. Like first he, guy, first guy never brings him down. Ever. No, never, never, I, never, never. I feel like he got hit behind the line 
on one of these plays and, and ended up turning it into like a seven yard game. And that's just, that's what they brought him in for, man. And so I, again, fingers crossed that that is not a very serious injury that he misses at most one or two games, because I think he's an integral part of what they do. He's the reason why they get into all these third and manageables, which is why they continue to keep drives alive. Um, I'm not sure if Jameer Gibbs can can carry that load, and I'm not sure the Lions are going to ask him to carry that load if, if Montgomery is out. I, I was going to ask because there is some fan chatter about the the workload that Gibbs is seeing slash not seeing. Um, you know, I think what what is it? So he, he had seven carries and nine targets in this game, which I consider a, a, a sizable workload, all things said and done. But some believe that some would say that, you know, you look at Montgomery, who's supposed to be the RB two in this. Where, why isn't, why aren't you featuring Gibbs a little bit more? I don't know. Well, I don't agree with that. I'm just saying that's. I'm not sure the, what to really make of it. The answer is they don't view Jameer Gibbs as a running back. They it, view him as a receiver. Yeah, they kind of review him as. I mean, we got we got one snap. Like, I I think that one snap of of Dave Montgomery as as the Wildcat quarterback with Jameer Gibbs on the field. Like that's what they kind of want to do is have both those guys out there. Jameer Gibbs being more of like the flash play kind of guy. And I think that's why some people are down on Jameer Gibbs. Some people are yelling at the lines for not utilizing. It's like they haven't gotten those flash plays. That's what they got him him for. Like they're going to run screens to him. They're going to run routes to him. He had a really good opportunity at a very big gain in this game and he dropped the pass. Um, but I think this is this is I mean, I hate to bring this up, but like this is why positional value was a thing with him is because he's not even going to be your every down back. He's not going to be your Bijan Robinson. He's going to be a guy that gets 14, 15 targets, but half of those are going to be runs. Half of those are going to be passes. And maybe that's enough, but we haven't seen the fl- this flash plays yet. And so I, that's where I think some of the frustration is coming. Well, I also think the frustration stems from, you know, five of those either carries or targets came after David Montgomery was out of the game. Right. Like, so it was a really light workload for Gibbs heading into the final quarter of this game. And then I think maybe I think fans got to see what they didn't want to see. Right. I mean, it, it was the, the, the pass blocking where Gibbs got absolutely blown up. It was the, you know, the miscommunication, whatever it was on the interception. There were just some things where it was like, okay, like, yeah, they have David Montgomery for a reason, and he gets he gets the lion's share of of, of the workload for a reason. They, I mean, th- that and that's why they didn't draft Bijan Robinson is because they believe in David Montgomery to be their number one running back. That yeah. that is who he is, and that w- that's the plan this entire year. Like there isn't there is obviously a plan. The lines have said as much to increase Jameer Gibbs' workload, but that does not necessarily mean chipping away at David Montgomery. It means utilizing him in different formations, in different sub packages, in different, you know, out wide in the slot as a a back in a wildcat formation. But they like David Montgomery a lot, and he means a lot to what they do. And so I don't think Jameer Gibbs is is ever going to be or. Maybe not ever, but like I don't think the plan is to give him twenty carries a game very often. It's not what they it like. Part of all you have to do is look back at how they use DeAndre Swift, and part of that obviously was injury management. And I think there's there's they they think they can do a lot more with Jameer Gibbs outside of just being a running back, where they didn't necessarily do a lot of that with with Swift. But the the philosophy is the same. They want to be a two back system, and David Montgomery is going to be 
1A. Jameer Gibbs is going to be 1B. Yeah. Uh, I think the only guy we really haven't talked about on offense then, besides the offensive line itself, is Amon Ross St. Brown. And no notes here. He's still awesome. And you just hope he's uh, healthy again. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone on the team's got to hydrate a little bit better. That's yeah. my criticism. Everyone hydrate. <laughs> Drink some water. I guess so, man. Like I had people asking me if it was the turf. And honestly, like, I don't think any of us are NFL players enough to know whether or not it's the turf. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you you'd be able to tell, but uh, I do want to give out. Uh, maybe I can make this a recurring segment. My boob of the week to uh, Daryl Taylor. What a what a ridiculous play you made. And then the whole crap like, yeah, golf had every reason to be upset with you for blasting him. I don't know what three full seconds after he got rid of the ball. I've never seen anything like that, man. Yeah, that was that was crazy. Like, I, obviously, he still thought he had the ball. Sure. Yeah, he, he got up flexing and all. But like. That doesn't matter, first of all. And and second of all, like if your quarterback gets rocked like that three seconds after the ball has gone. I'm sorry, that's worthy of an like. Oh, yeah, he should have been thrown. gone. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. That's ridiculous. That was um, honestly probably the most egregious beef I had with officiating was like, no, that like that's bad. Like, yeah, you want to protect your quarterback, man. Right. A Don't league let that him get prioritizes that. Right. Yeah. Bro, I saw I saw some weak stuff from some of the other games I watched when it came to roughing the passer. And I was just kind of shocked that that's the one that doesn't get laundry. Well, he, like, he got he did you get the penalty. I mean, there, I mean, but... I mean let me let me try that again. Though that he doesn't get thrown out is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Because it's kind of above and beyond at that point. Yeah. And and then the fact that he was taunting afterwards is is like just yeah, absolutely on, ridiculous. I, and I don't know if you saw this, Jeremy. Obviously, we had the benefit of replay, but like Bobby Wagner was getting in his face and he was like clean it up. Like he was definitely like telling him to like fall in line. Like yeah, yeah. Like that's what veterans do. That's what veterans yeah. do. They stop guys from doing that kind of crap. Oh. Man, but CJ Gardner Johnson just letting letting, you know, kind of the moment get a little bit too high. That penalty, man. Oh yeah. That's the first round of the game. Yeah, that sucked. It was a great play. But is that is that kind of the overarching theme from this, not just from the players, but the fans itself, is just we kind of let the moment get away from us a little bit. I'm going to ask, maybe I can ask that on the other side as we wrap up this game and look towards, look towards Atlanta. So we'll take a quick break when we come back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast, that and much more. Wrapping up with the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Um, I I came into this with a question, Jeremy, about expectations, about being too in the moment. Yeah. I understand you don't like narratives too much. I understand you don't like this stuff that isn't straight numbers or X's and O's or anything tangible. Sure. But at least from the fan side, I think fans. And it's why we're seeing the reaction from fans immediately after this game. 
there was a lot of getting high on your own supply. There was a lot of overreaction for one team is one and oh, and one team coming in is oh and one. And I get it. The Lions, we were part of that hype as well. We were part of that hype of like, this is different. The Lions look different. I still think they do look different. I refuse to believe that this is another case of the Lions being the Lions. They lost to a team, which I'm not going to be able to convince a lot of people in Detroit, but they lost to a team that is good. And they had a close loss in the NFL. And guess what? That happens because it's the NFL. It's designed for close losses and close wins at the end of the day. I can't really speak to too much to the players on how much they were getting up to it. I don't believe there's such a thing as a trap game in the NFL, in, in the NFL. That said, vibes being what it was coming into this. I'm not going to say the Lions didn't live up to the moment. I'm wondering, though, if this game got made into be bigger than it was meant to be at the end of the day between wanting to break the noise levels, wanting to have the Barry Sanders statue, wanting to wear all those ski masks that are going to be uh, very easily acquired now. It felt like a little bit much for week two, and I know we're still feeling this out, but it was just another game in the NFL at the end of the day, and that means the possibility of losing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, but like I get the excitement. I get why everyone got excited. This is a very good, very entertaining team, and I still think it could be a very special season. And so I, I I support all of all of everything that they tried this week. Like, why not try to build up excitement? Why not try to get Flava Flav in the building and, and Tim Robinson and 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 every like, yeah, build up the hype, make that place loud. And if they win, it's going to continue to do that every single week. And unfortunately, it didn't happen this week. But this is how you build Ford Field into a behemoth. This is how you build the Detroit Lions into a brand. You hype the shit out of them after they beat the down the, the the Super Bowl champions, and then you come home and you hopefully beat the crap out of another really good team. It didn't happen, but gonna have another go to next week against a two and zero Falcons team. So I, I I don't think yeah maybe a little bit much was made of the game, but now a little bit much is being made of the loss. Like let's go, let's bounce back. It's Fifteen more games on the schedule, fifteen more opportunities to put up wins. Let's go. How I mean, how many people would have taken this team being one and one through two games? Ninety five percent of them. I would. It's just All not right. in the order we wanted. Right. Like I just the only the only reservation I have is I think if you hype them up too much and then have a couple eggs like it does, sure. it, it does eventually It'll bring fight. back the Bronx cheers. And I don't want oh. that. I would rather keep the level headedness to a lot. My My point is mostly that. I want fans to temper their expectations. I think this team is going places, but it is still a team that is very young at the end of the day. I don't know what else to say about that. Like it's, it's a team that wants to do a lot of really cool things that still is finding out organically what it means to win in big moments like this. They, they had Ryan. We've talked enough about how they start seasons and we know a lot of those in in built-in answers but we just talked about how much this you know defensive backfield needs to take time to learn how to how to work together how to play together these things are going to take times and it's a long effing season it's a long season and you know it I'm not trying to put this on lions fans i don't think that they reacted this way but i think from an outsider's perspective there was much made about 
Lions fans being so elated with good reason for winning that game in week one against the Chiefs. And it may have felt like kind of a, a Super Bowl, right? But like the Super Bowl isn't won in week one, right? Like getting off to that one and zero start against the Chiefs didn't, you know, set this team up to be 17 and 0. Like th- that was never going to be the case. And I agree with you guys. Like, Jeremy, I think 99.9% of people would have been really happy with one and one. Yeah. Uh, and and you know. overtime loss. Can we like, can we like put that in perspective too? Like they didn't get blown out. There's a lot right. of teams that are one and one that have a blowout on their record already. The Lions barely missed out on a two and oh start. And I think we've covered enough about why it probably, they probably shouldn't have gone to overtime and let that risk be in the hands. But once that's removed and you are in there, if they had had a chance to answer Jeremy, then maybe maybe we're talking about a different game. But like that's that's just again, that's the nature of the NFL. It's not fair. And each week you get crap like that. Yeah, I, I think, though, with this game, it did really feel like house money. Right. I think you beat the Chiefs in week one. You're coming home. CJGJ is telling people to put on ski masks like. I think there was a lot of momentum. There was a lot of goodwill heading into this game where it felt like anything less than a win was going to be a massive disappointment. And that, honestly, I understand why you're there if you are there, but you'll you won't be there by Tuesday, right? Like you you won't be there in a couple of days, right? Like the season isn't over after two games. You know, there's an awful lot of football to be played. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Unless you're Justin Fields, but <laughs> I, I think my big takeaway, Chris, and I, I, I want to kind of put an exclamation point on this in the sense that every NFC North team lost. Yes, the Lions are still in good shape. Like they didn't lose any ground, and the goal for this football team, everybody needs to keep this in mind, is a home playoff game, is winning the division. That is the expectation for this team. The Lions did not lose the division today by losing to the Seattle Seahawks. And all of the teams in the NFC North lost as well. So the Lions are just fine. I just I I, I mostly want to do this because, like, I agree with you. It's it's just a matter of I get frustrated sometimes when I see the expectations built up to such a way, including members of the media, to a point where it's like you can't lose this game. Everyone's buying the ski masks. Everyone's buying into it. And what are I don't know how they're going to talk about it on Monday. But the fact that you've got Seahawks running around their locker rooms with said blue ski masks is going to become a point of just taking a baseball bat to the Lions because you built up the expectations. And now you're mad. The Lions didn't meet your expectations on what you felt was a can't lose game. Oh, God, man, you just had so many buzzwords, Chris. You said ski masks. Bob Quinn's baseball bat. I'm thinking a dagger. I wasn't time. even intending like, the baseball bat. There, 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 there's so many things, relics from the past that are just like, okay, like I'm tortured. I, I, I this is my thing. own torture of the team is remembering all these catchphrases. I think it's not I'm, the losses. It's I'm the gonna, weird PR phrases. I'm going to take this back to one of the catchphrases we've adopted since it was set uttered towards the end of last year. Like don't say dagger time. No, I'm not. I, I'm going to say you gotta, you gotta get comfortable being uncomfortable because yeah, like you are going to adopt some of these things. You are going to try to make this team a winning culture and you're going to adopt ski mask. You're going to you're going to play with a little swagger. You're going to be cocky. You're going to make fun of Packers fans. You're going to make fun of Bears fans. But guess what? This is the NFL. Sometimes you're going to get smacked back because of that. Does that mean you, you need to throw all your, your ski masks in the trash or whatever? No, 
Like we're still that same team. One week is not going to define what you do with, with the rest of the season. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be surprised if the ski mask make a return next week though. I am. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't, but here's, here's like, I want to look forward a little bit here. Sure. Because I think, I think the next four games present a really good opportunity for this team to rebound in a hurry. And not because, not that I like, I don't think the Falcons are going to be a pushover. I don't think the Packers are going to be a pushover. We'll see about the Panthers. We'll see about the two and O Buccaneers. Uh, but to me, that is not a good stretch of quarterbacks. I think the Lions just got done playing a couple of really good quarterbacks that can hurt you, that are that are mobile. These next teams are more run defense based, and so far the Lions have been okay at that. And so I think they have an opportunity to bounce back in a big way next week against Atlanta. They, they're they're going to have to because you're right. If they lose two in a row at home after all of the hype from week one, you're going to lose fans in a hurry. Now, does that matter? Not really. I don't care if they lose fans. I don't care if we lose fans. I don't care if people are all up in my mentions and yelling, why haven't they fight your Aaron Glenn every two hours? Because I still think this team is going to play well, but you're, you're going to, you are going to lose fans. You're going to, you're going to get some doubt raised. And I don't know. I don't think that's going to affect the locker room all that much because we've seen them hit adversity all the time, but I just, I just like the matchups a lot better in the next four weeks. And, and the fact that you aren't going against, you know, either the comeback player of the year or the Super Bowl MVP. I, I I agree with one caveat in that I don't want to see B. John Robinson doing the same Kenneth Walker BS magic. That's all. If hey, if it only results in two point five yards of carry, I'm I'm down with that. Sure, sure. No, no, but but like if Bijan is like breaking the tackles that Kenneth Walker's doing, he's gonna do a lot more damage than two point seven. Probably true. So that's my con my concern with the Falcons game is just the health of the football team on sure. defense. Like it's going to be a really mm-hmm. physical game. Atlanta's going to want to ground and pound. And you obviously it, here's the thing. I think that a lot of people suspected that as soon as the Seattle offensive tackles were out, that oh, the Seahawks were going to go back to being a, a ground team. And Detroit shut that down. But they didn't care, right? They still threw the ball as much as they wanted to, and that was part of their plan. I I feel like there there's just something about the Lions really like it's the inverse for this Falcons game. They have to be physical and they, they have to make it a point of emphasis because, like you said, Jeremy, the next few teams, they have some quarterbacks that are the jury is still very much out on. And, and receiving course. Yeah, and it starts with Desmond Ritter. Easy. Okay. Kyle Pitts. Five targets, two catches, fifteen yards. Is that somebody? Are you still sore about pit. this? Free pits. <laughs> not the, um, not next week. <laughs> yeah, not next week. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It, it, it's going to be a physical football game. I think that's one that the Lions want to play though, and yes, they just got to be healthy for it though. I think the Falcons are a good defensive team, but I think we've seen the Lions take it on offense to better defenses as well we'll wait and see on some of the preview that we're going to do on first bite but i i do like the matchup and then looking ahead to the packers i'm still feeling them out man but like i'm still i ain't scared they've gone into lambo before honestly yeah. that might be the kind of game they feel like they want to get up better for even on a short rest too so we'll see closing thoughts 
No, I I just I hope I hope this helped. That's that's my closing thought to everyone listening to everyone watching live right now. I hope this helped because let's it's it's one game. It's twenty four hour rule. All right, you're listening to this podcast after you you hit close after you exit out of your app. We're on to Atlanta. We used to we used to call the post game streams the uh, therapy, and I think they've they've shifted over to POD cast this year. And I hope they stay there. And I hope we won't need too many of them. I hope we can do a lot more of. Um, trying to pull you down from your high. Ryan, any final thoughts you have? Go Lions. Okay, great. Fantastic. Thanks, Ryan. I know he's got to get out of here. Uh, we're going to close up shop. Ryan at runner, uh, Ryan underscore POD. Myself, Chris Perfett at Chris Perfett on Twitter. Jeremy, what's uh, at Detroit on Lion? What's coming this week? Yeah, we will have the return of the midweek mailbag, most likely on Tuesday afternoon. You can join us live somewhere between 12 and 2. We don't have a set time for that yet. We'll have first bite still crossing our fingers for Mike Rothstein on that. Have not reached out quite yet, but we're looking for that recording on Thursday night up on the podcast feed Friday. Then uh, Maddinson, which has been just an absolute wild ride. And actually, Maddinson twice has now crazily predicted two things. First week, they predicted that someone would try to put on two helmets, which actually did happen in the Chiefs game. And then <laughs> last Madden Tim, the, the Seahawks one went to overtime as well. After the Lions came back, like down two scores very late. So uh, you got to come and watch our Madden Sims. They're absolutely insane. Those are Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. over on our Twitch channel. I hate that Twitch you have a better graphics card than me now, too. You got a 40 series like. I hate you. And he still has more stuff to fix. <laughs> Yeah, are you still audio desyncing on those? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. And great. people don't want to hear about it. Twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. They do want to hear about it and they will show up to the Twitch streams for that. So make sure you're uh, following over there and maybe subscribe over there and kick us some money because uh, we need it to fuel our uh, gaming addictions. I mean, Lions coverage. For all three of us, we're getting out of here. And as I say, after every podcast, and I say it again to you, we will see you starside. side.